and welcome to the latest episode of the Online Warriors podcast. Continuing through the month of October, I am Illegal86. I am one of your fantastic hosts, or hopefully we're fantastic. I am joined by my other two fantastic friends, Nerd Bomber and Tactic, and we have a special treat this week. We are joined by Josh Havkin, CEO of the Game Gym. So we're going to be talking to Josh for a little bit. Uh, he's also the founder of the Game Gym. So uh, Josh, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me. So we'll dive right in because I imagine uh, our listeners want to know more about about the Game Gym and, and about you. So I guess to start, you know, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, your background, uh, what has led you up to the start of the Game Gym? Sure. It's a it's a long story. I'll try to keep it keep it short. But, you know, I had this great background and, and experience in community sports growing up. Uh, I swam in college and got the you know chance to be an athlete uh, for the first many years of my life. And then I, I you know shifted on to my my next phase of life, which was marketing and I got into video game marketing. And you know I kind of after a while realized that there was an opportunity to take the things that I'd learned from the traditional sports world and apply them to the video game world. And so I saw I started game gym to solve the problem of you know the fact that there really is no support and structure for for people learning to game and especially people or kids at the developmental level. Yeah, no, I mean I mean it's it, it is interesting, you know, thinking about that and you know obviously it's a situation that I think is improving now, but having less structure around gaming as a sport and and esports and you know what it's turning into obviously super important, so that's uh that's awesome. Yeah, like Every single one of us grew up playing video games and learning it pretty much by ourselves. Like unless you had an older brother, older sister or cousin or, you know, parent, you're you're figuring it out for themselves. And most extracurriculars are not built that way, whether it's music or art or, or sports. Right. It's a communal experience. Exactly. Um, so as you kind of look to, you know, fill that gap, can you kind of give our listeners a little bit of an idea of like how exactly Game Gym is run and what you guys do over there? Sure. You know, we've, we've done a lot over the years. You know, we've we've navigated COVID. We had a, a 5,000 square foot facility that we we operated. And, and so we've done so many cool things over the years. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of, of like backstory because we've done some cool stuff, but then you know, what we're getting into now, but, you know, we really started as a community center and it was, you know, a place for you to, you know, get better at your, at your game, but also hang out, play ping pong, you know, there were musical instruments and, you know, so we, we, you know, would do things like, you know, we'd host professional esports teams. We got to host all of the visiting Overwatch teams when they came and played the Washington Justice. They said we were the best player practice facility in all the whole Overwatch League because we built a facility that was, you know, there to be a high-end esports experience, but also we were treating people as a whole person. And so we were providing, you know, an outlet in the form of a ping pong table or musical instruments or or drawing and things like that. So, you know, Game Gym has really, you know, we've done private lessons, we've done afternoon programs, we've done birthdays, we've done bar mitzvahs, we've done uh, tournaments big and small, we've done online live but now, you know, after five years of being in existence and, and fighting for survival with COVID, we've kind of narrowed things down to three main programs. So we have uh, our Game Gym camp, Camps program that's both online and virtual and live. And, you know, that's really about giving kids a traditional camp experience and also involve gaming. So we're going to get better at Rocket League, but we're also going to go outside, and play Foursquare, play Capture the Flag, do those kinds of things. We've got the Mid-Atlantic Esports Conference, which is 13 Maryland, D.C., and Virginia-based universities that battle it out in four different esports each season. And then our last program, which I'm really excited about, we're going to be uh, launching an app in uh, in December, January. And the best way I can describe it to you is it's the Peloton of Esports. We are going to come on and, and you know give you a training or give you a workout for, for your game. And so we're focusing on Rocket League, Smash, Valorant, League of Legends, and we're also going to include Minecraft in there. So those are our three main programs and really excited about all three, uh, the potential of all three. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So after working, what inspired you to pursue your own venture and why Game Gym specifically? You know, it was, it was funny. I had the opportunity to work at Bethesda and Bethesda is so special and unique. And, and the people who work there 
are awesome. You know, I got to work with Pete Hines every day and not necessarily like directly every day, but like he, you know, he was our director of marketing and like, he's just like a great leader. You know, he's somebody who was exactly where he should be doing what he should be. You know, it it just felt right, you know, and there were, there was a lot of that with the people who were at Bethesda. But unfortunately, my love was esports. My love was in in sports and community sports, and and I liked gaming. But I was a much bigger esports and competitive esports person. And so, being at Bethesda, and kind of you know, Quake was struggling at the time, and there wasn't really an esports scene. I saw myself in a place where everybody felt comfortable, and I kind of like realized I wasn't. And so, you know, it was, it was, you know, being at this, so this special place and, and like everybody there was doing exactly what they wanted to do. And, and, you know, well, not maybe exactly, but you know what I mean? They were, it felt right in, in a lot of ways. And I felt like starting game gym, which was this fusion of, of like community sports and like, you know, education and coaching and, and competitiveness, like really was the draw for me, like at the end of the day, like I miss swimming, I miss competing, I miss playing basketball with my friends, like esports gives me that. And so Game Gym was an amazing way for me to fuse all of these different passions of mine. Yeah, well, it, it, you know, something I'm hearing, I've heard a lot, you know, just in these first few questions, I've heard the word community a lot. And, and I just I think that's great. You know, this idea of I, I don't know, I mean, I don't know much about esports in general, I guess. I'm not a huge esports follower. I know I have a brother who's really, really into League of Legends, and so I know how big of a deal it is. But this idea of community being at the center of that, you know, the fact that Game Gym, it sounds like, started as a community center, and you're really, you know, you've created this place where maybe the first goal of that is to get kids to physically want to be there. And, you know, things like ping pong table and, and musical instruments, like you mentioned, like that just gives you solid ground on which to grow and become this kind of community-based organization. So that's, that's really, really cool. You've mentioned COVID and, and you know, kind of how that may have, have shifted things a little bit uh, away from, you know, that personal level of interaction. But, you know, besides COVID, I guess, you know, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced in, in getting Game Gym off the ground into where it is now? You know, it's interesting. It's the venue. It's it's the venue itself was was the biggest thing that we needed to to validate ourselves and who we were, but also the thing that that was during COVID made put me on the brink of of not being able to continue doing it because I was paying, you know, a lease and I you know my right. my landlord was not was not kind and uh, you know I ended up I ended up being in a situation where I had to pay a lot of money and we. We pivoted all of our programs virtually. I, I'm incredibly proud of what we did and our team that we did this. We were planning for an incredibly robust summer of camps, of live camps. I remember March 27th, we shut things down. We 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 canceled. Uh, we were supposed to have a smash tournament. We ran this awesome tournament called Flex. We did 36 straight Flex events that ran every two weeks for like two years COVID shut us down that Thursday. We canceled the Friday. So that was like March 26th, 27th, something like that. It was that night that Tom Hanks got it and the NBA was canceled. And it was like, oh, okay, this is a big deal. Um, And then then April 4th, like during spring break, we ran a virtual camp pilot program with like eight or 10 kids. And, you know, we we pivoted really hard and, and we tested it out. And at the end of that day, at the end of that Friday of that week, we had the same, like, I'm going to miss you guys, you know, feel that you get from traditional camp. And then I, I knew that like online camp was like a real thing that was going to be needed. And, and you know, we had a, this awesome online camp program and we've had kids from almost every every state. And uh, we've had kids from like as far away as Dublin. And we had a kid who joined us from Thailand at one point. So the venue was really, really tough because it, it just became this anchor. And so the thing that made us and made us, you know, believable and made parents think that we were worth spending time in and, and doing that, then all of a sudden became this thing that was like dragging down like our digital pivot. And so navigating all of that has been, you know, the toughest part. And and in December, we are actually going 100% virtual. We will no longer have a headquarters. And a, a lot of me is, you know, a lot of me is very sad about that. But the thing that I tell myself is that we will 
be a digital program or we will be a pop-up and operate. We are a curriculum. We are a program. And at a certain point, you know, we may have a headquarters again. Well, it's, and you know, I, I, I think you can't understate, you know, the value of that virtual program. I mean, first of all, getting that started so quickly when COVID hit, I mean, that's, as you mentioned, kind of a huge accomplishment, but like a huge concern and, and a continuing underlying concern, even as we, I mean, we're pretty much out of lockdown now, but during COVID, it seemed like a, a pretty big focus was put rightfully so on kids maintaining a certain level of social interaction, even when they were stuck in their houses, you know, maybe not going to school the same way that they used to, or, you know, just not being able to experience things with friends the same way. So to be able to create a communal experience that, like you said, you know, it sounds like Friday rolled around and they were saying, you know, this is I'm really going to miss. And I'm going to miss these people. It's, it's just super important. So it's, it's really cool that you guys were able to do that and are continuing to do that. So you've mentioned a lot that you've had a huge community engagement and all positive feedback from what it sounds. But what kind of response have you gotten from the parents and players, for that matter, since you've opened Game Gym? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I'll, I'll do events and I do a lot of gaming events, but I also do a lot of just like community events and fairs. And, you know, I'll do um, farmer's markets, like anywhere that you can go and, and say hey to people, I want to get out there and like chat. And like, you know, some people avoid us like the plague. Like they see we're video games and they'll literally like they'll walk the other way. And then some people, you know, like treat us like just any other thing. And, and you know, parents are, you know, just like any other demographic of people. There's some people who get it. There's some people who don't. And there's some people who maybe don't get it, but understand the value of it. And I think that that cohort is getting much, much bigger. And I think that like COVID helped that. I think that, you know, the rise of esports being a more valid thing and like you, the fact that you can, you know, get a scholarship to college, like that's a huge validator from parents. But, you know, it is still our biggest hurdle is parental skepticism for a lot of, you know, our, our camps and programs. Our app, on the other hand, you know, that's for anybody. That's for anybody who wants to get better. So the nice thing is at a certain point, we're not going through parents anymore. We're going through, you know, anybody who wants to get better. And like if you're a Rocket League player and you're like bored and sick of YouTube videos and you want a little bit more tailored experience, then like come check us out. But, you know, it's it's been great. And and on the player side, you know, I've had a couple a couple kids who have gone on to play in college or in uh, in some junior colleges. I've had um, staff go on to work at, at bigger companies, whether, it, you know, like esports or media or other things. And so, you know, you get the mixed bag, but, you know, generally it's it's pretty positive in terms of the people who like want to be a part of our community. And I mean, it has to be super validating, too, to see, you know, people who learned from you or were part of Game Gym going on to do professional esports and stuff like that. That's honestly like the coolest thing for me. Like my biggest hero. I love Jon Stewart. Mm -hmm. Jon Stewart's like my my hero. I grew up and he shaped a lot of my like, you know, belief of what's right and wrong and like just being a good dude and like fighting and standing up for, you know, what you believe in and you know, the thing that I love about Jon Stewart is that he he birthed all of these other voices who now, you know, kind of are, are out there. And whether it's Colbert or John Oliver, or Samantha Bee or like to me, that's that's such an incredible legacy to leave, especially when you're, you know, pushing things in a positive direction. And like that's the coolest thing for me is is if if you were somebody who, you know, maybe you were working a job and, and like you weren't too jazzed about it, but then you know, you worked at Game Gym and were able to find your way to a gaming company or a media company or something else like that to me is really the the ultimate reward because it's it's so impactful on, you know, the world in a way if you can put good vibes out and then continue to, you know, have other people put those good vibes out. And kind of in line with those good vibes, I noticed, you know, when I was looking at your website and the Game Gym mission, you guys really seem to focus heavily on that healthy, holistic approach to gaming. And like typically when people think of long gaming sessions, practicing for esports, I feel like the first thing people think about is just sitting in front of the computer, the console for like hours on end. But, you know, bringing that kind of healthy, holistic approach, I feel like is pretty important. So what do you personally think is the key to balancing health and gaming as both an esports professional and even just your casual player who might want to, you know, dedicate the time to get better. Totally. Great question. Balance is really hard. <laughs> That's the thing. Like we're all constantly working to balance, you know, like that's, that's the reality. And, and like, 
what I feel like holistic gaming or holistic approach to gaming means like you treat people as a person who games rather Mm -hmm. than a gamer. It means developing other hobbies. You know, I really think like now people should, you know, have a, a art, like you should have a, you know, whether it's music, it's painting, it's writing, it's, it's, you know, photography, like whatever that art is, you should have a technology, like a, a, you know, you could do photography again, you do graphic design, you could do coding, you could do something that's keeping you in this world that's progressing because it's so easy to fall out of it. And then you have your, your athletic, like what, you know, whether it's yoga or walking or, or sports or whatever. And like, to me, if you, if you have the, you know, those elements, then taking a break from gaming isn't so bad because you're picking up a guitar or you're going on a walk that you enjoy, or you're doing something else that like, you know, gives you fulfillment. So, you know, to me at the professional level or at the casual level, I would say, look, like balance is tough. And like, if you think about it and you think about you grinding towards an event or not, not necessarily grinding, but like working towards an event, mm-hmm. you've got, you know, a couple different phases of that. You've got your, your build up, you where you're like kind of working on your fundamentals. You're getting used to putting in the work. You got that middle time when you really need to grind. You need to spend more time playing and grinding and, and putting in that time. But then as you prep for competition, you want to back off. You want to give a little break. You want to rest more, give yourself a break. And then afterwards, you take that break and you step away from things. Those are all three different phases of things that require different balance. And maybe during the middle, you're playing more video games. You're playing three or four hours a day or whatever. But that's fine because if you look at the season, there's a balance to things. And so right. that's what that's what this is all about. And, and like the esports kids, unless you're at the pro or college level, have never experienced a season of esports. And think about how common that is for all of us who grew up to play sports. You you play basketball, you play swimming, or even somebody who participates in a theater, you know, performance or a music performance where you work on it, you you get together, you grind, you mess up, you suck. Then eventually, it you know you work on it, you get better. Then there's the competition. You either win, you lose, you do great, you don't do great, blah blah blah. You take a break and then you restart. That's an appropriate thing to experience. Right now in gaming and esports, there is no season. It's just I'm going to play all day until I pass out and like think that I'm going to get better. And so that's like a huge thing that we're trying to change and trying to, you know, kind of make this uh, a shift towards a more way of thinking about things, you know, in that holistic sense. Right. Well, and it's, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that because I mean, you know, I think moderation is really important and, and you know, one of the hurdles you probably constantly have to get over kind of going back to the last question is kind of this, I think antiquated idea that like, Oh, you don't want your kids sitting in front of the TV playing video games all day. It's going to melt their brains or, you know, whatever the, we agree. Like no one disagrees. No one disagrees. Exactly. You know, like we're we're on the same page. Yeah. And, 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 you know, now, you know, we're hearing more and more about how, you know, playing video games in, in moderation can actually be good for you, you know, and, and it's really about avoiding mental burnout and, you know, this idea of creating not just a successful gamer, but a well-rounded gamer who, you know, like you said, there may be grind periods, but there's at large moderation and, you know, this idea that there's more to you than, than a gamer, you know, it, I would liken it to people talk about working for Google all the time and like how great it is working for Google. And one of the reasons that it is great working for Google is because their facilities have, you know, things like you mentioned your facility having like a ping pong table and, you know, diversions from the work these implicit encouragements that you are not just a worker to us you are a person you know and granted part of that is they want you to be there coding more often but yeah, it's i also, feel like they it, almost take it to the, the next step where then yeah but well let's not go into yeah that. <laughs> they, they want you they want they want you to live there yeah but it's it, it's still i would like to think that somewhere in there there's at least an acknowledgement that you are more of a person to us than you know just someone who we only want to game or we only want to work so i, I think there's yeah. a reason why Danny won the tournament because Mr. Miyagi taught him it's all about balance. And that is a, that is a fact. A true right. fact. It's yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if you play, you know, if you, like you said, if you play games all day until you pass out, like it's, I have a hard time believing that's going to make you better. And I think you could say that about anything. You, you could say that about sports, you know, conventional sports too, where, you know, the body needs rest. You know, it's just kind of as simple as that a lot Which, of the time. By the way, Josh, that should be the biggest takeaway from this interview is that we've likened you to the great Mr. Miyagi. You know, honestly, I, I'm going to hang up now. 
<laughs> I've reached the mountaintop. <laughs> well, so, so speaking of the mountaintop, you know, I mean, five years from now, 10 years from now, this is, this is a very job interviewee question. I don't want you to feel like you're interviewing for a job, but where do you see, you know, the company, I guess, Game Jam, what goals do you have for it? Where do you see it down the stretch here? Yeah, it could be, you know, in the, in the words of Mitch Hedberg, I, I'll be celebrating the five-year anniversary of you asking me this question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, man, you know, I, I really... One, I hope that we're still around. Like it's been, it's been tumultuous five years, the first five. So I think we will be, but like, you know, it's just, I I really, stability on the future is very exciting for me. And so, you know, where I see us being in five years is I see us having, you know, a really great online presence and growing a really great online training program, essentially the best resource that gamers have right now for getting better is YouTube. Like that's, uh, you know, the the best resource that we have. And so, you know, I think that that we could do something a little bit better than that. And so, you know, first we're going to start off with a couple of games, but then we'll add more. Um, we're going to start off with a couple coaches and then we're going to add more. Um, we're going to, you know, bring in, uh, we're going to get pro teams to give us workouts. We're going to get um, partners to give us uh, content and things like that. So we'll have health content. We'll have content to help you you know, with your eyes, with, you know, other parts of you. Um, so the, you know, Game Gym Online is really, and, and our mobile app is really like the 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 future of where I see our company going and like, you know, building this, this database of thousands and thousands of workouts. And then, you know, once we teach the world how to actually practice esports, I want to be able to turn it over to the users and let users be able to submit workouts. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm creating a, a Rocket League workout. You're creating a Rocket League workout. We're all posting them online and people are saying, oh, cool. I did this variation on that drill and here's this other thing. But it's not just Rocket League. It's League of Legends. It's Valorant. It's all these different things. And you can search by, you know, coach, level, skill, game, and all of these other different categories. So, you know, that's really, to me, I see our company building out, you know, this incredibly robust online platform and then having hopefully, you know, really great live events and live camps and live touch points throughout the nation and hopefully throughout the world to like bring people together and, and actually come together and, and, you know, hang out face to face. That sounds awesome to me. And, you know, like you kind of said, the Peloton of video games, I think that you guys kind of found a really good niche. And I think, you know, especially with your drive and passion behind it, I totally see you guys getting there and helping to fill that void because right now, as someone who plays Rocket League and has not been improved by watching YouTube, <laughs> I can tell you it's definitely a need out there. <laughs> it might be a little it's bit so brutal too. <laughs> <laughs> Always. So you mentioned, you know, a variety of games. Just kind of, you know, off the top of your head, what would you say is the most popular game, the most in demand that you see a lot of interest in? So at the at the kid level, it's Minecraft and Roblox, like mm -hmm. for our entry level summer camps and those kinds of things. As you start to get a little bit older, they start to get into FPS games. They start to play Fortnite, plus start to play Rocket League a little bit more. And then as you get a little bit older, still, it's kind of, you know, gets into uh, like CSGO and Valorant and some more, you know, Apex, some more heavy shooters. And so it kind of depends on the age groups. But, you know, uh, like I would say probably our biggest camp is Minecraft. And it's awesome. Minecraft is an amazing game and, and we use it in a bunch of different ways. And whether kids are building on their own, they're building collaboratively, we give them different searches or different activities. It's amazing to see their creativity in Minecraft. And, and like it, it's some kids are just absolute geniuses when it comes to the, that world. Very cool. So pivoting a little bit away from game gym and focusing more in general on gaming, what game or franchise has been the most influential in your life? Wow. I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you two. The first one is is the the original Pokémon, the, nice. the oh, red yeah. and blue. That oh. was that was on the Game Boy. Only um, crazy so people don't like the original Pokémon. <laughs> yeah, that's me. He's talking about me, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's, okay. All right. Well, yeah. we can debate, you know, we can debate it, but you know, I think for me, it, it was the game itself, but also that like, it was the first game that I like played fully. It was the first game that I like beat. It was the first game and, and I took it with me everywhere. And it was huge in schools at the time. Like it was just 
Pokemon was this massive thing. And did you play um, that competitively ever? I never played it competitively, but I would battle with my friends and like, you know, not not in any kind of big competitions, but like we do local and and small room things. Yeah, none of the selective um, breeding nonsense. Yeah, exactly. But no, it, it was it, it was that it was amazing. And then I, you know, later on in life, you know, as I was navigating that, you know, video game world and and the marketing world, I really fell in love again with Street Fighter. And Street Fighter 4 was the game most recently that like I really dove back in and was like, not only do I like this, but like I want to compete, I want to get better. I want to like how you know how can I make my practices more efficiently and that was the first game that got me thinking like oh how do I build a practice for for Street Fighter and so you know now you know looking back on that like that was the first you know instance of like you know what what the game gym could be and now I sit here you know talking to you guys with the Street Fighter tattoo on my arm which is pretty cool Who's your go to So I'm at a little bit of a crisis a little bit but I've played Ryu. I've played, I was just a traditionalist. Then in five, I started playing birdie and a couple of the big heavies. But like when I switched over to five, I really struggled. I didn't, I had a, a character identity crisis, if you will. I feel like there were a lot of good options. So I, I totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was more probably that I like wasn't good and then I would get beat and I'd be like, oh, this guy sucks. And then go to the <laughs> next one. But, you know, like, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm excited for Street Fighter six. That one is, is, I was about um, to ask that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely going to buy it. Definitely going to put some time in and, and dust off the old fight stick. Not the best character, but my go-to is always Blanca or at least I, I always, yeah. 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 <laughs> Just a I like Blanca a lot. Yeah. So, you know, the gaming industry, esports, obviously, it's, you know, it's a huge part of your life right now. I asked you, I, I guess I have all the future questions, the job interview questions, but how do you see that industry and the industry of esports evolving in the future? I guess I should say continuing to evolve because it feels like it's it's getting bigger every day. Where do you see it going? Yeah. So I see it in terms of the gaming industry, because they're two different things, you know, like the gaming, the gaming industry, I see it becoming just more accessible you know, you're going to be able to play, you know, any game from your phone. You know, if you think about it, the the three keywords that everybody keeps saying are global, mobile, social. So it's going to be more social, it's going to be more global, and it's going to be more mobile. So I see, you know, the, the gaming industry continuing to drive that way. In terms of esports, what I think is really exciting is that, you know, the pro scenes are only a couple of years old. Like League of Legends is the biggest esport in the world, and it's, you know, 14, maybe 15 years old max. So, you know, the, the pro scene is barely established. And, and in the esports world, that's going to be exciting is when there's more structure at the college and the high school level. And that's really what's, you know, it being established right now. It's like the Wild West right now. Everybody is trying to figure it out for themselves. And there's different fiefdoms all over the place. And, and you know, you got some people doing it right and you got some real snake oil salesman, you know, trying to do some things and it's all mixed up together. So, you know, I think that that the esports industry at the collegiate high school grassroots club level is really going to solidify over the next 10, 20 years and it's going to be great for the industry. Yeah, great answer again, focusing on the uh on the on the youngsters. Uh, yeah, man, build, that's build, my build world. Base for the future. Yeah. Right on. So lastly, and we ask this of all of our guests on the Online Warriors podcast, if you can have any superpower, what would it be? Wow. You know, I saw this one on the uh, on the, the question. I, I did. I put some thinking to it. There was like, you know, the superpower that I thought would be kind of cool. And I never, never, I, I don't know. I was talking about it with a friend. And so like, I would like to be able to ask a question and then see everyone's answer. So like, imagine I could, I could say like, you know, what do you have in your pocket? And then above your head, it would just pop up like wallet and keys or like 20 sec, you know, or like who ate breakfast today. And like, it would just be like, I did, I didn't, I did, I did. And you would just be able to like, look out and be like, oh, okay. So is that I like see. mind reading or is that like, you don't necessarily have to interact with the person. You can like propose this question in your own yeah, head and then exactly. know what, what and they it would, would just say. Like, just like a little, a little like answer would like pop up and you'd just be like, oh, okay, cool. 
Good to know. Good I feel like to that's know. Neat. That would help you connect with people, and especially you know in the world of game gym and trying to connect with people and teach them and you know build a community. I feel like that would be super helpful. Yeah, I mean, it could also be used for. It could be like, what's your darkest secret, and then I could like know that and then use it against you. That's true. A dark right. this. this is what Every, my friend pointed out because I was on your side. I thought it was super positive at first, and he took me to the dark side. With great power, every superpower responsibility, right? Exactly. Exactly. Every, so your superpower will be blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I have to say, I think, and not to not to throw shade at our past guests, but that's got to be the most well thought out answer. If only because you know, it's not a that's not a conventional superpower. I would say that's that's one that you. It's I would almost say you invented it. <laughs> it's like it's very specific. It's very oriented to I think what you do and. You know, it, it's not just you saying like, oh, flying, which, you know, flying would be fun, I guess. But this is very much like it's like a utilitarian answer that I, I really appreciate. I take the online warriors podcast incredibly seriously. And if you send me questions, I'm going to make sure I answer them to the best of my ability. We Well, that is much appreciated on our part and I think on the listener's part as well. So, so Josh, we thank you so much for taking the time and being here. Any parting words you want to provide? Any Twitter handles, websites, you know, things like that you want to, you want to get people aware of? Yeah, I mean, you know, first off, just thank you so much for, for this opportunity and your questions. Um, it's been wonderful to be with you all and, and I hope it was informative. Feel free to reach out to me if anybody has any questions or, or you know, want to connect. My email is joshygamegym.com. Um, you can get connected with me on Twitter at Extra Barbecue, which is my Twitter handle. And then, you know, check us out. Uh, all of our programs are at www.gamegym.com. And our social handles are all Game Gym Esports. So, you know, check us out. And um, if you like it, uh, give us a follow and would be much appreciative. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. Uh, thanks again to Josh. And uh, we're going to take a short break now, but we'll be right back to continue with our regularly scheduled episode. Thanks so much. Hey everyone, my name is Josh and I'm the host of the Still Loading Podcast. On Still Loading, I talk about retro and modern video games, video game history, as well as some goofy projects such as an episode of dramatic readings of video game manuals. I've also had composers like Austin Wintory, Andrew Prallo, and Chad Sider on to talk about their upcoming projects. New episodes are released every other Sunday at 7pm Eastern Standard Time. If you want to check out the show, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, and welcome back to the show. Thank you again to Josh for that wonderful discussion. If you haven't checked out Game Gym yet, definitely go do so. Now, you know, we're going to kick back over to our regularly scheduled news programming. And unfortunately, Illegal has to leave us for the rest of the episode. But I, Nerd Bummer, am still here with Tactic. Hello, hello. Tactic, can you give us a little bit of a rundown on the news topics that we're going to cover today? Sure. So we got a pretty diverse range of topics today. We're going to be talking a little bit about the upcoming game Starfield. We're going to roll into some Netflix news. And we're going to talk about a new trailer for the movie Something in the Dirt. Now, me personally, I kind of want to start with Something in the Dirt. This trailer was very interesting and kind of Blair Witchy to me. Yeah, it definitely had, you know, those kind of mockumentary, well, not mockumentary because it's not supposed to be comical, but you know, a fake documentary sort of vibe here. And I couldn't really understand exactly what was going on, but it seemed like in this trailer, you know, they find some kind of almost like a tome with symbols on it. And they find out that the town that they're in, like the structure and the setup and all that kind of stuff. And like the streets and buildings are all kind of set up based on this like ancient stone that they find. So yeah, with, within the town, I guess we'll call it the village or the woods, that's where I got the Blair Witch vibes. But the other vibes that I got really strong from this trailer were, do you remember Marble Hornets? Oh my God, I loved Marble Hornets, yeah. So Marble Hornets was this whole thing where it's a bunch of kids just kind of recording and documenting what they find, and then it kind of morphs into this Slender Man lore, and it's very, very creepy. Yeah, do you remember when Slender Man was, like, all the rage? I mean, I, I don't know if all the rage is the right way to say that, because I think, like, wasn't there, like, an actual real-life case where some girls took it too far? But, like, Slender Man was everywhere for a little bit. He was bit. so 
slender. So slender. So yeah, I got those vibes really, really strong in this one. But I thought what was kind of interesting is they said that it's somewhat funny. So I'm kind of curious on how they blended this documentary horror with jokiness. I'm really excited to see how they're going to do this and and kind of what the overall vibe is. Like, are they going to lean heavily into one where it's just corny or is it going to be like a good balanced program? So no, we haven't actually seen Moon Knight. That's still on our docket. We, there's so much MCU stuff we got to catch up on. But the directors of this movie are actually the directors behind a couple of the episodes in Moon Knight. So I'm wondering if, you know, it'll kind of be a similar vibe. And the directors are Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Well, they had also done some stuff with Loki, too. So we've seen most of that, you know, everything but the last episode. Oh, relax. We'll see it eventually. So we, I guess if they're similar in that, where they have kind of touching on humor, but it is kind of a very heavy concept, I think I think this can work. I Overall, this is something that I am definitely excited for. It does come out to theaters on November 4th, 2022. So that's this year. And then it'll be on demand on November 22nd. I don't know if this is something that I would go see in theaters. This definitely feels like something that I would still stay home to watch just because I I can't get a good vibe. You know, it has those horror vibes and this is something where Illegal would really shine because this is just not usually my type of movie. I remember a couple Halloweens ago, I don't think you had ever seen The Blair Witch Project and I was just like, you know, I've seen this before I don't like spooky stuff, but this is just something that you have to watch. This is like something that needs to be in your repertoire. And I remember, even though I'd already seen it, I was like watching through my fingers. And if this is like super spooky scary, I feel like I'm not going to make it through. So I I don't know. Yeah, not only that, but horror movies at the theater, like driving home is just never fun. So yeah, this, don't worry. We're we're only exclusively going to watch this on demand. You don't have to worry about your scary drive home. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I didn't mean that to be sound like you would a baby. That that was not an intent. (laughs) Kind of in the vein of, you know, watching stuff at home. So some of our listeners may already know this, but right now Tectic and I are kind of in a Netflix hiatus. We don't have Netflix right now. We have piled on a bunch of other streaming services at the moment. So we just kind of cut Netflix loose for a little bit. And part of it was that it was getting pretty expensive. I mean, I I don't remember what it was up to, but they kept raising the rates and I think it was like $15 a month. And I think for that amount of money, you know, we got the like Disney bundle. So we have Disney Plus and Hulu and ESPN Plus. We have Peacock right now. We have Apple TV Plus and there's another one in there. Paramount Plus. We have Paramount Plus. (laughs) So we have like all these other streaming services that like all of the individual costs kind of stacked up to Netflix. We're like, okay, well, we can't possibly watch everything all at the same time. So let's cut Netflix loose for a little bit and, you know, really focus in on these ones that we're paying for right now. And then we'll go back later. Well, Netflix is shaking up the game a little bit because they have finally announced the price and release date for their ad supported tier. Now this is basically cheaper Instead of getting, you know, a commercial free experience, you're going to be paying $6.99 a month and you'll have, you know, 30 second ads kind of interspersed between your content. But the kicker here is that you'll only be getting content in 720p and you may not get everything that a traditional Netflix subscriber would get. And this will be rolling out in the US, Australia, Brazil, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Korea, Mexico, Spain, and the UK. One thing I want to mention in addition to what you had just said is it's looking that it'll be an average of four to five minutes of ads per hour, which honestly, we're just going back to cable at these points. I mean, I remember when Netflix first came out, it was like, you can, well, as a streaming service, you can stream all the shows and you don't ever have to have worry about commercials and it's a really low price. What's happening? We're just like, we're going back to cable, guys. Dude, I think the only streaming service that we have right now that doesn't have commercials is Apple TV+. Plus. Literally all of the other ones, we have ads now. Like, they all have ads. You have to get each individual streaming service. So it's just lumping together to just, it's just, come on, come on, services. Please just give us a break. We're, we're not your billion dollar people. Well, 
I think the thing, we've talked about this before in the past, with all of these different streaming services chunking up content, like it used to be that Netflix would be your one-stop shop and then Hulu kind of came around and a lot of the network TV programs went over to Hulu and you know, you'd maybe get them on Netflix when the series was over because you'd get all of the seasons at once on Netflix. And then all of these other individual streaming services started popping up and it's just, it's still cheaper, I believe, than having cable because we actually we have cable right now it's lumped into our internet service and the main reason we have cable is because i'm a huge hockey fan and all of the stupid nhl streaming services don't allow you to get in market games with your streaming service so you basically have to have your local cable you know channel for hockey games which is the literal worst it's a racket so i'm basically paying for cable specifically to watch hockey but it, it it's just getting kind of ridiculous and i don't know and oh yeah we also have hbo max i forgot about that one too so in addition to the quality the commercials the cost is good there's also it's going to be not all of the content that a full hire service will provide. There's going to be limiting restrictions on various shows due to licensing issues. I don't even know what that means. Apparently, they're working through it, but why? Yeah, that'll be interesting. So, like, I'm hoping that means that they won't be gatekeeping some of their premium content, like their original content. I know, like, Peacock, they have the free tier of Peacock, but then if you want, you know, their original content you have to pay up and i hope that's not what netflix is doing here because i think right now the big thing that netflix can hang their hat on is you know they're spending so much money on original content and that's i think the thing that i miss the most i don't really miss the old tv shows or the old movies and stuff i can find those elsewhere i don't need netflix for that what i do want from netflix is all of the original content like Love is Blind is coming out again with a new season this month and I really want to watch that. And like we're behind now on Cobra Kai and I really want to watch that. And like when Stranger Things comes out, like I want to watch that too. And it's it's their original content. So if they gatekeep the original content behind a higher tier plan, I feel like a lot of people aren't going to take advantage of the basic with ads tier. I will say like one of the biggest things to me, and I didn't ever think I would be a quality snob, but 720p just hurts my soul. Like we have a 4K TV and having to pay more for 4K was something I refused to do. So we always had 1080p with Netflix, but 720, come on, we're in 2022. That shouldn't even be an option. Yeah, the minimum should point. be HD, right? Am I? Well, am I... Tec- I mean, technically 720 is HD, but like you should be, 1080p should be the minimum. Like, why are we paying for the difference between 720p and 1080p? That makes absolutely no sense They can to afford me. more Ps. They can afford all the Ps. The other thing, too, that, that's kind of strange to me, because I don't really understand how this affects Netflix one way or the other, is that for users at this tier, you will not be able to download titles. So it's basically saying, hey, if you wanted to watch movies, like when you're camping or like... If you're on the plane in airplane mode, sucks to be you. You didn't pay the extra money, which... Well, I mean, it makes sense. They don't really want people to be buying in at this $6.99 tier. They're trying to get people who are kind of like you and I right now, who are like, you know what? It's really expensive. So I'm just going to cancel altogether until something that I want to watch comes around. And then I'm just going to, you know, wait and stack things up and get a couple months and binge it. Like, I think this is so that they're hoping people will set and forget you know, get into that subscription cycle and then completely forget about it. And I think if you want extras, then they want you to pay up because they don't really want you at that six ninety nine tier. Yeah, and, and I get that for the seven with the seven twenty p quality and the ads, and I I even get it with the limited content. All of those I get. The download one just seems like a you know what? Screw it. We'll take one more thing because we can. It just seems silly. I wonder how many people actually do download titles, though. Right. And that's my point. It's not a common thing. So why take it away? I feel like it might be pretty common, though. And I think it's probably a way to restrict people. And I'm not like supporting this decision, but I do think it's probably a way to restrict people from, you know, sharing screens almost. I don't know. Because like if you download something offline, you can like hand it off to your kid and then watch on your TV. I'm not really sure. I don't know that it works like that because you, when you download it, you still have to watch it through the Netflix app. Right. But then you put your phone in airplane mode or your tablet in airplane mode and it has no idea that you are 
watching it elsewhere. I don't know. Seems silly willy to me. Yeah. Like, I'm excited that this lower price tier is coming. And, you know, they're not the only ones to be doing this. I know Disney Plus is also going to be rolling out their ad-supported plan. And Hulu has always had that. Um, And I I believe Paramount Plus and Peacock. Well, Peacock, we are on the ad-supported tier. I think Paramount, we are too. So most of the other streaming services already do. It's just... Most of the other streaming services also give you 1080p with your ad supported thing. That that's just the biggest thing for me. Like I mean I don't want I have a 4K TV. It's gone back to the the running joke as far as the streaming services is that Netflix is cheap. Like not it's cheap in cost. I mean like the decisions they make are like penny pinching annoying. And this is just status quo, Netflix. You uh I guess you're just meeting the bar. What is the one thing on Netflix? that keeps you coming back probably stranger things for me yeah i think weirdly love is blind is up there oh my goodness it is it it's one of the more unique shows i don't typically watch reality tv and there is something about it that is just very compelling and it's done in such a very efficient format as well like comparing that we tried to watch married at first sight and i think that it just it would that was too long the episodes were too long the seasons were too long and something about love is blind is just produced really well where it keeps you coming back and like even the idea and the experiment behind it i know like with the this is a spoiler for season two but like the season two divorces that happened after the fact kind of like shatter that illusion but i don't know something about it's just very interesting and compelling to me but also Stranger Things for sure. And I'm definitely missing Cobra Kai. I want to I want to watch that really bad. Yeah, it, it has its shows and it's definitely a hooker. Is it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty promiscuous. But I just, I'm, I'm watching all of these different services and I'm sorry. If one's going to go, I'm not, honestly, I could purge the whole, the whole lot at this point. I'm just getting frustrated, but maybe really? I'm just becoming the cynical person. I, I don't know about that. You ever watch Paint Dry? fascinating stuff i do not i do not agree with you i'm I'm gonna need my tv i will say apple tv plus they don't have a lot of original content but the content that they have bangers straight up bangers every single thing that i've watched on apple tv plus banger 10 out of 10 exactly and so and and all these other services they have random trials and offers so you could basically just if you're smart and clever with it just go on a rotation and just do what works and keep yourself fat. And by that, I mean, keep your wallet fat and just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just getting that way. Well, Cause they, they are trying to combat that though. Most of these streaming services now, like they used to batch release the seasons and they don't do that. They do the weekly release. And I think to prevent people from doing that. And especially when you get like the big shows, like stranger things, they obviously batch released in two halves. But if you missed the zeitgeist on that final season, like you felt left out. Like the water cooler talk yeah, effect I was just is gonna very say, real. That I'm, I am avoiding the water cooler. You know what? I, I, I could be dehydrated. That's but there, there is something to be said, though, about being part of like a cultural phenomenon and like a big cultural movement like that. Like I always go back to one of the things that made Game of Thrones so successful on HBO was the fact that, you know, it captured that moment. It was pre before streaming took over literally everything. You were still in that. Everybody is watching on a weekly basis cadence. And it just one of the biggest phenomenons that made it so big was that people, you know, there was a lot of shock value and people the next day would gather around and they'd be like, oh my God, did you see what just happened on that episode? Did you see who so like so-and-so died? That was crazy. Can't believe they did that. Blah, 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 blah. And like to miss out on that, I feel like when we went back, because we did miss out on that. We didn't watch Game of Thrones right away when it was releasing. We didn't have HBO at the time. We were poor students couldn't we afford were that. poor yeah we were poor we could not afford hbo still um, not rich but. <laughs> but like we went back then and watched it and without the ability to like speculate with people like don't get me wrong it was still a good show but like we we missed something we missed something and it was very evident and so i, I do think you know they're 
trying to bring that back with these weekly episode releases to get people talking. And I I do think it's going to be effective at making sure people don't just do that round robin of streaming services. Because like when Ted Lasso comes out, everybody's going to want to talk about that week over week. Like it's just it's that's one of the cool parts about weekly releases and people aren't going to want to miss out. No, that's a fair point. That's an that's an absolutely fair point. But yeah, so I guess check us out on the social meds. Let us know if this is something you'd be interested in doing. Let us know if you'd still do a free trial or even if you just said, you know what, Netflix, screw you. I'm done. Are you also as enraged by 720p being an option these I days? Am, I'm furious. We need to, yeah. Technology as a whole is way better than what we have access to. That's that's a rant for another day. But do you know what is a better, brighter future that we can look forward to? Starfield. This one's a little crazy. So Starfield, they Todd Howard actually released a new video with Bethesda. Obviously, Bethesda is making Starfield. But Todd Howard basically was sharing some new details of what to expect in the dialogue system of Starfield. And, you know, he kind of said they're going back to the classic Bethesda-style dialogue system. And, you know, looking at the character and what kind of emotion you want to convey. And then you have a series of different choices in terms of your dialogue options. And you have different, you know, options like aggressive, passive, etc. But the thing that really caught my attention and I think what caught a lot of people's attention is that he also said that Starfield is going to have more dialogue options than any Bethesda game made so far. And basically the scope of the game is going to be huge. They apparently just passed 250,000 lines of dialogue and I believe there's more to go. So there's a lot of depth here and I think that's like way, way more than any Bethesda game ever so far. How do you feel about that? It's a little daunting to me. I'm not going to lie. Well, it depends on... So just because they said, hey, there's 250,000 lines, sure, whatever, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be exposed to it because that's... In my, it seems like that's the total of all of the lines. Whereas, like, if you want the whole game and just used your the way that which you pick dialogue is based on spending points. So, if you're going to have a non-aggressive one or a passive one, it says that it's a plus one cost. If it's an aggressive one, it's plus five, and each dialogue option has a cost associated to it. So. If you do the low-cost options, are you thereby unlocking less dialogue path or inversely more? I, I, I do wonder like what and how the spending works and what's that what what how do you know what the optimal choice is or if you're just kind of blowing money like i don't want to spend all my money being a, an aggressive person and then it just gets me nowhere but just i'm the jackass on the on the ship i don't want to be the jackass on the ship yeah that's going to be an interesting thing cuz like i am somebody who in many games especially early on i'm kind of a hoarder and so i'm interested to see kind of how this point system plays out because i will definitely like early on hoard all of my dialogue option points worried that i'm going to need them for later and will that impact the path that i ultimately am able to take like do you need to go hard in the beginning like i always go back to uh mass effect and i know this is Bioware and a completely different dialogue system, completely different studio. But like in Mass Effect, you couldn't really hedge. You couldn't sit on the fence. Early on, you kind of had to decide if you wanted to be a dick or a good person, because if you played like a middle ground or if you waffled back and forth, that screwed you down the line. Because then when an option came around and you needed to be a renegade or you needed to be a paragon, if you kind of played that middle ground, that gray area, you often didn't have those options available to you. People died. Right. So like, I'm wondering if this is going to be the same thing. And like, is it a good thing to hoard your dialogue points early on? Should you be spending aggressively early on? Like, that's going to be something that it feels like a game within a game and it's going to stress me out a little bit. I'm glad you use the phrase hoarding because I can absolutely see a mode of panic, you know, if it's a life or death situation, you you know what you need to pick but you simply can't afford it. Now, inversely, how do we even earn these points? You know, is there a risk reward where you if you're aggressive, you you have the potential to earn all those points back? I just I really I like that there's the option to have all of these lines of dialogue, but without actually knowing how the system works and how you can really leverage it for a successful story, I I just, I am at a loss on how to feel on this one. 
I also, like, I am excited about this game. I love Fallout 4. Like, I spent so much time in Fallout 4. Actually, at the end of our old podcast, when we were part of a website conglomerate, I remember I definitely called in sick (laughs) to a few episodes because I was obsessed with Fallout 4 and could not put it down. And in so in comparison, Fallout 4 has 111,000 dialogue options. Skyrim, which I know people have spent, which I've not played myself, though Tectic I know you have, and I know a lot of people have spent like hundreds, if not sometimes thousands of hours in Skyrim because it's been out so long and on so many different systems. And that has 60,000 lines of dialogue. And this is just something, you know, they've talked about the scope of Starfield and how big this game is. And I just kind of worry because, you know, with Fallout 4, I didn't necessarily feel fatigued, but I was kind of at, you know, peak gaming. I had a lot of free time on my hands. When this comes out, like I tend to get open world fatigue. I know when I was playing Assassin's Creed, Valhalla, I hit the fatigue point, like the open world fatigue around like a hundred hours in. And then I really quickly needed to run through the story because I knew I'd never finish it. And so if this is like a 200 hour game in order to like pursue a full, you know, kind of dialogue tree, that is not something that I'm willing to sign up for. Well, let me ask you something. So you did play Fallout 4 and mm-hmm. and I, I, I have an answer for this, but I don't think the number of lines is really a metric for like quality of lines. So did you think Fallout 4 4 had like captivating dialogue? I am the type of person when given a dialogue tree or a conversation, I go through every option available to me. So like, for example, obviously, yeah, you have like your emotional lines and you only get to pick one. But then like when that branches out off and like the character that you're talking to gives you like five or six things that you can ask them questions on. I'm the asshole that sits there and I go through every single one, even though like a lot of it is information I already know, just because I can't bring myself to back out of a like a conversation with an NPC unless all of the options on the you're little wheel. Smooch. No, even like the it's just inf- purely informational. I'm always feeling like if I don't pursue every single dialogue option available to me on that screen, if any one of them is still highlighted that, and I haven't done it yet, I feel like I'm going to miss something critical. And often, like I do get bogged down a little bit in that where and I'm just like, it's okay, just like okay, one, okay. it's, it's mind numbing dialogue. And so I don't think you need to worry about this becoming this all consuming task of dialogue. Because- I don't think you heard me. I will literally go through every line presented to me and then i will get bored and then i just won't play the game okay well don't do that that's my (laughs) i have no self-control i will do that okay well don't but either way my point is those listening do not look at the the number of lines as a time sink and as this overwhelming thing because as i said it might not necessarily be just all-encompassing riveting dialogue it just might be this thing that's there for you to enjoy or not enjoy or just breeze through so Overall, I do like the decision tree and how you could spend coins. I think there's a risk reward system that I really want to get a taste of what that means and how to use it. But at this point, I need more information. It's just more something to look forward to and another competitor for Mass Effect, in my opinion. I think I think this has the real potential to give it a run for its money. I don't know about that. Oh. Sorry, nothing. Mass Effect is perfection and nothing can take its place. Thanks. Aww. So with that, that's kind of wrapping up our new section. We don't have a quiz today, but we can still go over our what are you up to Wednesdays. So Tectic, why don't you kick us off? Why don't you talk about what you've been up to for the last week? So in the last week, I was a fall lover. And what I want, what I mean by that is we had gorgeous weather, the trees were changing color. So we went on a little hike. We have a local park and we just walked it and we took some photos holding up leaves. I'm not the most photogenic of the two of us, but Nerd Bomber definitely looked much better than me in some photos. So that was fun. And then after our little hike, you know what we got? We know what we got, guys? Pumpkin spice frappuccinos. And they were delicious. And we got them with pumpkin spice scones. And those were delicious. And it was just it was just fall vibes all around. So if you haven't done so, go for a hike. And then the other thing that I want to talk about that we did is we watched a spooky movie. The movie was Last Night in Soho. And this movie was... 
twisty turny. It was spooky. It was interesting. There was, in my opinion, I don't want to spoil it, but there were parts where I think it got a little carried away with the spookiness and didn't really feel much grounded anymore. But overall, it was an entertaining ride. I guess I would give it probably a 7 out of 10. It wasn't super scary. It was just kind of strange and fun watch. So, and Nerd Bomber wasn't freaked out, which is always a plus. Yeah, I would say it was probably more of a thriller. Like, there were definitely some, like, spooky paranormal moments. But I would say it was definitely a little bit more of a, like, mystery thriller than anything else. It was it was pretty good. I don't know what I expected from the movie. I know it, when it came out, there was a lot of discussion around it. I obviously, like, I didn't really pay attention to it at all because I remember the first time I saw the trailer for it, I was like, this is not my type of movie. But it was actually pretty interesting and I'm glad that we watched it. It was one of those things where it was strange and it was good, perfect fall vibes, especially for October where I don't have to peek between my fingers all the time. So that was she cool. She doesn't do that as often as she alludes to, guys. Because we don't say, watch just... scary things often. So that's that's why. Well, so that's all I really had with that. I'm going to kick it over to you, Nerd Bomber. All right. So in the last week, I finished The Last of Us. And I'm a little sad that Alikal is not here to talk about it because I know that he is a huge fan of the game. We talked about it a little bit last week. I don't necessarily... I mean, the game has been out since like 2013, I think. So if you haven't played it yet, like I did, I guess big spoilers ahead, but you should probably go play it. I did really, really enjoy it though. I didn't think that I would. I think that's why I put off playing it so long because I thought it would be too tense. And it was very tense in the beginning, but the longer that you play it, like the the zombies, the clickers and stuff like that, they're not that scary anymore. There were a few jump scares. Just where annoying. Yeah. I mean, it becomes more about stealth than anything else. And then they just become like any other enemy in a game. They There were a few jump scare moments throughout the game that got me pretty good. And I had to like pause and be like, okay, well, okay. But then I moved on pretty quickly. (laughs) But overall, like I thought that the story was really well done. And I think what was really cool about it, too, was then, you know, having watched the trailer for the TV show, I didn't really get a lot of the references. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I didn't get any of them because I hadn't played the game yet. So I was just like, okay, zombies. Cool. But I went back then and I rewatched the trailer for the HBO show coming out and it was pretty cool and I don't even know if you Tactic or even Illegal would have picked up on so many of the parallels if, like having literally just played it and having finished the game and having it being so fresh in my mind like the if you break down that HBO trailer there are so many scenes that are ripped directly out of the game there are so many details costuming stuff like that that is just ripped directly out of the game and that's giving me a lot of hope for you know I didn't really care I mean I don't want to say I didn't care about the show but like I wasn't like super fan so I was like okay this will be cool to watch but now I'm like really invested in seeing how they adapt this game and this story and I'm also wondering like are they going to you know keep the show contained then in season one to the first game are they going to pursue the second game which illegal said that he will let me borrow so I'll probably be playing that soon I don't know and I'm, I'm really interested to see how they pull this off. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we, we covered this at nauseum in our previous episode, but I mean, there's so many different ways in which they can execute that relative to the game and, and how many parts. Is it one part, two part, three part, four part? Who knows? It's just, it's it's a really exciting time to be a fan of The Last of Us right now, especially because like you said, all the parallels. So I do have to ask, so Tactic, and this is a, another big end of The Last of Us spoiler, if you have not played the game if you want to play the game or if you want to watch the tv show and not have any spoilers just plug your ear holes for a second but tactic you know one of the things that i was kind of shocked at was the end of the game you know you've you've worked the entire game seasons upon seasons as joel to get ellie to the fireflies to save humanity and then you know you find out that they have to basically kill her and cut her head open to find the cure. Do you pull a Joel or do you let them do that? Like, what is the right decision there? Oh, this is this is my person at this point in the story. I'm killing them all. Done. I'm pulling a Joel. Do you kill the doctor who is unarmed? Yes, because he knows. And and I know I know that that sounds kind of out, like eerie, but I don't trust people. I think people are inherently savage in this world. Let me let me be clear. In this world, 
And if I leave him knowing the information with knowing that the only way that they want to do it is by cutting her head off, more or less, he is a threat. And if we if we get away, they're going to hunt us down with people who have skills to take us out. What I am interested in, I mean, this, I guess, goes into science, but I guess they kind of allude to the fact that she had a mutated version of the cordyceps fungus so that it was able to like grow in her, but not like take her out and make her go crazy. And I wonder, you know, there's multiple points throughout the game, especially like when she's in the the cannibal village, you know, she bites him, she bites the bad guy. And I wonder like if you get infected with her strain of cordyceps, like if she bites you, you know, she's technically infected. If she bites you, do you have like the immune strain? And why not? Unless it was a blood transfusion, I'm very, or she has like a sore in her mouth. There have to be, in my opinion, specific situations where it would spread. I don't think just like teeth into skin is going to do it. She's not a vampire. Well, no, but I mean, if you get bit, that's how they went down. Right. But she she's not actively like like her blood is the cure, in my opinion. It's it's like her antibodies, really. And and her, your antibodies aren't in saliva. Well, then why can't they just draw her blood? Because they're they're crack doctors. Hence why I said kill them. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> So with that, we're going to roll the episode out with a tech tip. Hit us, tech tip. So I want to let you guys know, if you ever need hindsight, you should probably rub some ketchup in your eyes. That was really bad. And I apologize on behalf of the show for that really bad tech tip. I'm really excited for that one. Have a great week, everybody. And we will talk at you next week.